disparities are in a lot of different aspects of our lives, especially in work where you're trying to get to a certain point and you aren't understanding why you're being held back. But when you look around, it is because of your race. It is because of discrimination. And it may not be as explicit as some people think, but like it's there and it's a barrier and it becomes difficult to, you know, maybe continue on with your small business as you're trying to grow. How do healthcare disparities and cases of medical injustice disproportionately impact Black women and Black families, leading to individual and collective distrust of the healthcare system? Let's talk all about it with Camille White and Jasmine Moore, host of the Distrust and Disparities podcast, right here in episode 410 of The Nurse Keith Show. Hey there, this is Nurse Keith. Of course, this podcast is always about you, your personal professional development, your career, and the healthcare system writ large. And I'm here to share education, ideas, frequent diatribes, and informative interviews with some of the most inspiring people from the worlds of healthcare, nursing, entrepreneurship, podcasting, and beyond. I love having you along for the ride, and I thank you from the bottom of my nurse podcaster's heart for being part of the growing Nurse Keith Nation. And guess what? You can now get CEUs from listening to podcasts if you go to rnegade.pro, R-N-E-G-A-D-E.pro. They're building a library of nursing podcasts offering continuing education credits, including the Nurse Keith Show. So head over there, log into the portal. You can choose me or any other content creator from the dropdown and earn CEs from the content because you're listening anyway, so you might as well get credit for it. And if you'd like to help other people find the show, please leave a rating and review. You know where, Apple, Google, Amazon, Spotify, etc. And head over to nursekeith.com for the drop-down menu to see the show notes. But of course, the show notes are in any app where you happen to be listening. And as I said just a few moments ago, I'm here with my friends, Camille White and Jasmine Moore. They are healthcare podcasters, and they have the amazing Distrust and Disparities podcast, which I'm proud and happy to say is now part of the Health Podcast Network. Isn't that awesome? So Jasmine and Camille, thank you for being here. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. Oh, I'm happy to have you here. And okay, so Jasmine, I'm going to start with you and I'm going to ask you, what was the impetus for starting this show? Why did you want to launch Distrust and Disparities? So I decided to start the podcast because I wanted to have an outlet to discuss stories and cases of medical injustices and health disparities. I was already having these conversations with um, friends like Camille and also with coworkers and parents. And at the time, I just started listening to podcasts and I really enjoyed podcasts. And I was like, more people should be learning about um, health disparities and injustices in the world. So I was like, I'm feeling a little burnt out with Durson, but I want a creative outlet and I want to be able to talk about health disparities. I think that's a really laudable and timely thing to want to do. And you're a registered nurse and then you looped in Camille White and Camille, you and Jasmine have been friends for a while, right? Yes, we've been friends since high school. So 
I want to say like going back to like 2007, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I remember Jasmine telling me about this idea of starting a podcast. And I thought it was such a great idea. And then she asked me, which I was so honored that she would ask me. And I think we do have a really good rapport. And she's been teaching me so many things because Jasmine is truly like the mind and the creative behind this because she comes up with the stories we'll talk about. She is so heavy into research because she just enjoys looking at so many different cases. And then together on an episode, we'll discuss it and then we'll highlight an organization that we feel is helping um, Black people address these disparities. And then sometimes just an organization that is still geared towards Black people, but can just be uplifting and a nice little sort of break from reality where let's look at something nice and happy and not always, you know, have to look at the sad things. Mm -hmm. I get that. And Camille, you're, you're a human resource specialist and you've focused on government contracts and minority owned businesses. And where did your interest in health disparities come from? Like, was there, was there like an original catalyzing moment? if I could pinpoint it to like one specific moment, but I think overall just watching the news and paying attention to different things that were specifically affecting like members of my community, even talking with some of my family members and what they've dealt with. And then especially like Jasmine mentioned, the Black maternity health crisis, that was a big thing too, because learning about that for myself, it's just like, I'm a Black woman and maybe one day I want to be a mother and realizing that like, this is something that could significantly impact myself, my family, whoever I'm like having said children with. So I I don't, I can't really pinpoint it down to one moment, but just a collective of things Mm -hmm. that have happened over time. Probably has to do with being a black woman in America in the 21st century, <laughs> right? I mean, yes. <laughs> you know, yes. I mean, it's yep. in your community. <laughs> People talk about it, it's in the news. And you all have covered gynecology, pregnancy, and abortion. Your latest episode is about autopsies and pathology and disparities that happen in that particular world, which kind of blew my mind. And of course, you've covered diabetes and breast cancer and medical exploitation. So Jasmine, as a nurse, you know, Mm -hmm. you've probably seen a lot in the course of your practice. I mean, you've worked in um, trauma, you've worked in the ER, you've worked, you know, in a lot of different settings community health, education, case management. So can you just speak to moments you've had as a nurse where you were like, you just were, you know, fuming over what you witnessed? I'm trying to think, um, fuming. I know I did travel nursing and before I did travel nursing, I did the majority of my training in the inner city um, in Baltimore, Maryland. And then I remember taking a travel contract in a pretty affluent neighborhood in Connecticut. And just the stark contrast, just not that many people waiting in the waiting room. And then also the number of patients, like white patients, they were coming in, they were living to 
hundreds. They would come mm. in and they would come in for a fall. When I was working in the ER in Baltimore, we had so many young Black adults that were just sick with chronic diseases and coming in for multiple illnesses on dialysis, had amputations at the young young age of like 30s. And then also just a lot of people, they didn't have like access to a primary care doctor. They were coming, they were using the emergency department as their primary care. And then just working in um, community health centers, just being able to provide education it was just a stark contrast between the two um, the two hospitals and just in the two regions. And you just see this is how um, health disparities can develop. And also, you notice sometimes the way that the doctor talks to patients, depending on if they have like a family member there with them or if they don't understand what's going on. Like the doctor sometimes won't even like come into the room to speak with the patient. I have to like grab the doctor like, hey, can you please explain to the patient what is going on so that they can understand? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Camille, you brought up the thing around childbirth and maternal mortality and, you know, what Black women experience in, you know, the obstetric world, I guess we'll say. So what is it, Camille, that you feel is going on there that's causing to have such disparities, you know, well into the 21st century where things actually probably haven't changed on certain levels? Uh, it's a number of things. I mm-hmm. think one of the biggest things is that we aren't listened to. Our family members aren't listened to. Like there have been countless stories, even a recent story I remember seeing on Instagram of a woman saying that her friend had given birth and she kept telling the medical staff that she couldn't feel her legs and nothing was done. And that woman unfortunately eventually died. And that happens far too often, or even I think a big story too. And I, and in one of our episodes we briefly mentioned, but Serena Williams and people acknowledging that like, here's someone who has access to so many things because of not only her celebrity, but then the money that she has. Mm -hmm. And yet she still wasn't listened to. And she still had complications where it's the deep embedded like racism that is even sometimes still taught to medical professionals that we don't feel pain the same way. You know, Mm -hmm. Black people, Mm -hmm. we have like a higher pain tolerance. So therefore, when we're complaining of things, oh, they'll be all right. Or the racist notion that if we're asking for, you know, pain medication, that must mean that we're addicted to drugs. Uh It's like a multitude of things, but I think it all comes down to like, we're not listened to. And then unfortunately we have a number of people who don't just see us as human beings deserving of care of a certain type of care. Uh And I think Jasmine has definitely like, could speak to that more because she is a nurse, but just the countless stories. And unfortunately there continues to be more stories and we talk about it and we try to get people to understand, but a lot of times people don't want to address their own internal issues and their own racism to then Mm -hmm. acknowledge and move forward and actually help fix the the huge health disparities because but in general too the U.S. is terrible with uh, our maternal maternal mortality rates like we are like in the gutter when you know 
for such a developed wealthy nation, we should not have mothers and babies dying at the rates that they're dying. We really shouldn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's shocking, isn't it? It's like a developing country in that particular respect. And Jasmine, when you decided you wanted to do the show and you told Camille and you all started putting your heads together about this, and then we all connected at a certain point along the way, what were some of the disparities that jumped out at you that you were like, oh my gosh, we've got to cut. Oh, we've got to do that. Oh, we've got to cover that one. You know, which ones were foremost in your mind? Because Camille mentioned, you know, um, maternal child health. You've already mentioned diabetes and amputations and, you know, that sort of thing. What else came up for you when you were thinking, oh yeah? Yeah. So I would say looking back, starting with some of like the historical um, medical injustices. And I was mm-hmm. surprised that people did not know about these cases, such as um, the Tuskegee syphilis oh, um, yes. experiment and also mm-hmm. Henrietta Lacks. And Henry, the Henrietta Lacks case, that took place right in um, Baltimore at John Hopkins Hospital. And I remember I read the book and then we also watched the document documentary and also the movie that came out and I would always talk to people when I say I have a podcast and talk about those cases and it it would surprise me when people did not know about those cases and what happened and how like a major institution such as John Hopkins they took these cells from Henrietta Lacks and they were making millions of dollars off those cells and her family was still living in poverty in Baltimore City. Mm-hmm. And I just think that that case is crazy. And some of the details that we talked about in the case, like we have family members that live in the city and are familiar with some of the Lacks family. And they were like, wow, they were shocked and they learned so much learn new details. And even myself looking up the cases, I, like Camille says, I go down the rabbit hole of Mm -hmm. just like looking up details and I have to like scale it back so that we can keep it um, digestible for our audience. And I would also say environmental health racism, just like how, where you live at, how that can affect your health. And the case that we did in New Orleans, how they built this new neighborhood for low income, specifically um, black residents that was built on top of um, it was an old landfill. So they knew that the ground was toxic and that they should not put a development on this land, but they did it anyway. And then so many residents were getting sick and they they even built a school on this ground. So children were getting sick and they were being being affected mm-hmm. and it's specifically tied to, you know, their health. And this is like a huge health disparities. Um, I, I would say, yeah, especially environmental racism and also um, in the nursing field, when we looked at the history of midwives, how. Um, granny midwives, they were predominantly um, African-Americans and how white physicians came in and they basically like stripped them away of what they were doing and how they were caring for these women's. And that just changed the whole field of gynecology. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that was an amazing episode. And the Henrietta Lacks episode, that might have been the first one I listened to. And then the one that you did about um about the neighborhood in New Orleans. That was a really powerful one. And I hadn't heard that story before, which was pretty outrageous. And you all do a lot of research. And um, Camille, have you, has doing the research become part of your daily life too, in terms of digging deep into this information and kind of getting the background on these stories that you want to do? I wouldn't say like a part of my daily life. I would say that's usually Jasmine's field of what she focuses on. Mm -hmm. And then we work off of an outline when we're putting like she puts together an episode. And then I go in and make sure that like, okay, I understand everything that she's talking about. I'll follow some of the links that she's included to then sometimes read on my own. And then other times I do like then follow a bunch of other links and start searching things myself and then maybe might find additional information that I might be like, oh, maybe we should include this too. But I would say Jasmine is the real heavy on the research and organizing all the information that we'll put together. And then I'm sort of like the background person in a way of then when we finish up an episode editing, and then I try to do the promotions and stuff on social media. And Mm -hmm. that's when then I'm looking at also the research Jasmine puts into finding organizations of finding them and their accounts and seeing what we can repost from them and see what they're talking about. That's Mm -hmm. really what I focus on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I really love that. And I love that you all have this partnership like I've had on my original podcast, RNFM Radio, when we all split the duties and you do a great job editing. You really piece it together so well. And Jasmine, you know, from your perspective as a nurse, you know, we learn about research. We learn about trying to go to primary sources and, you know, that's part of what we do in nursing school. We learn how to, you know, read for ourselves and dig deeper into, into these situations and the things we're interested in. So has doing the podcast changed the way you look at your work as a nurse? Like, is your perspective shifted or is it just confirmed the things you already felt and thought? I would say doing the podcast, it makes me want to be a better advocate for my patients, especially when I Mm. work in the emergency department, just making sure patients understand um, the discharge instructions, taking that little bit of time to explain things. And also just if I say have a patient that say if they don't speak English, just taking that extra step, making sure I go get the translator phone when the doctor comes in, make sure they're translating, making sure that they understand. So I feel like it makes me a made me a better advocate and also it made me want to move maybe beyond bedside like Hmm. especially since the pandemic we we patients definitely need more education to understand um, how to prepare for their appointments um, what they need to do to advocate for themselves just in case a doctor is not listening to them And also just understanding like what medications they're taking, understanding their illness, even with like hypertension and diabetes, just 
understanding, you know, these are silent killers. Like you may not feel like the initial side effects right now, but going on later on down the line, they can affect your vision, your eyes, your brain, everything going on down the line. So I would say it makes me want to be able to educate my patients more so that they understand, improve their health literacy, and also just educate um, my coworkers and colleagues, just making sure that they understand, like, there's like a cultural difference and, you know, you need to understand and be able to be able to reach your patients and understand them, mm-hmm. I would say. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think what you all have created here is sort of this, this platform from which you can shout to the rooftops, the things that you feel are really important. And, you know, being healthcare providers, Jasmine, you and I understand, you know, that one-to-one interaction we can have or with a patient or family. But when we do something like a podcast and we're creating something that, you know, can reach many, many more people, mm-hmm. you know, it can have quite a societal impact. And I think your show is exciting and it's a really important addition to the health podcast network. Mm-hmm. And I know Dan, the CEO over there is really happy to have you all on the network. So when we come back from the break, I want to talk more about your vision for the future of the show, episodes you've received the most response from, you know, what are people really like, what's really hitting people and how people can find you. And some other questions I have for you about distrust and disparities. So we'll be right back with the second half of episode 410 of the Nurse Keith Show. Welcome back to the second half of the episode. We're here again with friends of the pod and my friends, Camille White and Jasmine Moore of the Distrust and Disparities podcast. And before the break, gosh, we were talking about so many things. And, you know, you all cover, oh my gosh, you all cover subjects that are painful to listen to and important to understand. And, you know, you mentioned Tuskegee earlier, Jasmine, and that is one that sometimes we hear about in school. I know I did a project on it when I was in my bachelor's program, and it's outrageous to learn about how these men were basically allowed to continue living with syphilis and were basically tricked into thinking they were being treated when they were not. And they were basically guinea pigs and these scientists and doctors just wanted to watch how they got sick and how they died. And, you know, it's an outrageous thing that right now in the 21st century would think, oh, how barbaric. But it seems like there's still barbarities happening all the time and the disparities continue. And Camille, I wanted to ask you about this notion of distrust, because the podcast is called Distrust and Disparities. So how does the distrust in the system, the wider healthcare system and the scientific medical community, how does that manifest with, let's say, Black communities? Well, then 
automatically you have people who then don't go see their doctors. They don't have physicians. They they wait until something goes wrong Mm -hmm. instead of understanding that preventative care is really where you need to be focusing your efforts and energies because they can look at their ancestors. They can look at their own family members, maybe any sort of experience they've had personally where they weren't listened to where any of their concerns were dismissed and then people are skeptical and as they should be, or even I know when we talked about breast cancer, it's a huge Mm. problem in terms of research numbers. We're lacking in terms of our participation in a lot of research studies. But again, like you were talking about like Tuskegee, that is a huge historical event that took decades to finally end and People are like, well, they were part of a study. Why would I want to sign up for a study that I could then have something and not be told about it? It's mm-hmm. That's where it manifests where what happened historically and then the problem that a lot of times it's not rec- recognized or then rectified in an appropriate manner to say, we're sorry this happened and here's how we really mean we're sorry we're putting this behind that or a lot of it can be performative. Then people are just like, you haven't, really changed my mind. You haven't made it seem like it's safe to go to a hospital, safe to go to a doctor. So I'm going to figure it out on my own and just go as like the last resort. As Jasmine said, she's in the emergency room all the time. And that's what people have turned their primary care into. It's like you go to the ER as a last resort. You're not going to a doctor beforehand because, well, you don't trust doctors. Mm -hmm. And that's a sad, sad statement. Right. Especially with what you all have mentioned and what Jasmine, you talked about in the first half about diabetes and hypertension being silent killers. And we all know that those need to be managed over the long term because they do damage year after year after year and it just gets worse and worse. So, Jasmine, you see this stuff firsthand in the ER. And Mm -hmm. do you feel like in your role as a nurse, knowing what you do, being a Black woman, being aware of this distrust that has been propagated and fomented for, well, for centuries, basically. Um, Do you feel like you personally can change that calculus a little bit just with one person? Can you change the course of a person's life if you can be that trustworthy person? I think so. And it makes a big difference. I would say in nursing your bedside manner, Mm -hmm. just approaching each patient and, and, you know, coming in warmly, nicely and seeing what they're here for. A lot of times they'll open up to the nurse first, then the doctor. So trying to get the story from the patient and being able to tell the doctor what's going on. And I think that's one key step. Because a lot of times, even with like your frequent flyers that are coming into the ED or patients that are, um, say, they're a a little, I would say, after waiting in the waiting room for hours, you finally get in the bed, you're angry. So a lot of times patients, they may come off like a little hostile, but just going in there like, hey, I'm here to help you. You got to tell me what's going on so that we can tell the doctor so that we can convey this information. Or if patients, they'll be like, I came to this hospital, I had this last doctor and they kind of brushed me off. They didn't do anything. 
I was like, well, this is a different time. You know, what's going on? What's new? How can we, you know, just talking to them? Well, did you tell them this? Did you tell them what medications that you were taking and things like that? So just being able to explain this. And, you know, sometimes it works. And sometimes you got to like constantly go to the doctor like, hey, can we do this? They're upset about this, but this is what they need. Or even sometimes just talking to other nurses like um, a patient, they're, you know, fussing at you because you're coming in, you're judging them right away off the situation, you know, judging how they look and how they talk. But it's like, you wouldn't go into say if it was like a little old lady's room and talk to her like anything. So you need to have the same respect for all patients, I would say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so you have this opportunity when you walk in a room, you could change the course of someone's life if Mm -hmm. you can win their trust. Unfortunately, we don't know what's going to happen to them when the next nurse comes in in the next shift. And we don't know what will happen to them the next time they interface yeah. with the healthcare system. So that's that's unfortunate, but we do what we can, mm-hmm. you know, with what we have. And we can't save everybody, yeah. but we can we can be that that little drop of inspiration that drops into somebody's life. And Camille, in the course of your your life and your career, I know you've worked in HR and you've worked with minority-owned businesses. Where have you seen disparities, whether health related or not, in, you know, just in in the course of your lifetime? What have you seen out there that, you know, has really had a major impact on you? Um, in terms of like businesses, minority owned or women owned, it's the opportunities that they have. And mm-hmm. you can even see that in like government contracting where it is a lot of times about your connections and who you know. And a lot of times white people know other white people and they have connections reaching through family members, family, friends. So when you're sort of like a new face on the scene, it's great that you can then have the different certifications or signifiers that say, hey, I am someone that's woman owned. I am veteran owned. But then still, it's so hard to sometimes get your foot in the door to then get those contracts, get that work. Even though you do quality work, sometimes better than the people who already are there in that space, it's still so difficult when you're fighting to sort of even get like a seat at the table when there are plenty of contracts to go around. But a lot of times it's, even though maybe something is put out to be bid on, they have someone in particular, they have a company in particular that they really want to give that contract to. And they sort of go through the motions of like, oh yeah, everyone can apply for it. But then it ultimately goes to someone else. And you're just like, that's really interesting with like, it. there's a lot of different little things in there, but it just goes to show that disparities are in a lot of different aspects of our lives, especially in work where you're trying to get to a certain point and you aren't understanding why you're being held back. But when you look around, it is because of your race. It is because of discrimination. And it may not be as explicit as some people think, but like it's there and it's a barrier and it becomes difficult to, you know, maybe continue on with your small business as you're trying to grow. Mm -hmm. And we can 
we have racial disparities and discrimination. We have class issues in this country that don't get talked about a whole lot either. And, you know, people are up against a lot of roadblocks and speed bumps and brick walls that they run into, whether it's in getting a government contract, just getting a blood test done that they need done. You know, it can be from the very, very small to the very, very big. And we've already talked about diabetes and hypertension and we haven't touched cancer yet. And, you know, maternal mortality. And Jasmine, I wanted to ask you, there's been studies done that show that when patients encounter healthcare providers who look like them, who talk like them, who come from at least somewhat of a similar background, outcomes can be better. And I know that the percentage of nurses of color is actually fairly low. I don't have the numbers you know, on hand right here, but it's not necessarily representative of the population at large. How do we help to recruit more people of color into healthcare professions so that patients see more people who look like them? That's a tough question or Mm -hmm. a tough answer, or Mm -hmm. it's going to require a multitude of factors just with education, just addressing like the inequities in education and making it a little, or I would say students, they want to see doctors and nurses of color. So getting in front of those students and seeing that we exist. And also I would say uh, getting into nursing school and medical school is very competitive and Mm -hmm. you need to have those have the resources and the the resources to get into the programs so just making those programs a little bit more accessible to those who are interested in becoming doctors and nurses how can we support those students who want to become doctors and nurses Mm -hmm. yeah and i think getting into the junior high schools and the high schools is important. I know that Mm -hmm. some high schools have programs where young men and women can, you know, actually become certified nurses aides and start working Mm -hmm. and get credit either for high school or even advanced credit for college while they're in school. Um, And we can get people excited about science and get them excited about healthcare. You know, there's always talk about STEM, you know, science, technology, Mm -hmm. engineering, and math, right? But I feel like healthcare is in there, you know, it's part of the science world, but I feel like there needs to be an explicit focus on healthcare because Mm -hmm. in that term STEM, you don't hear the word health, right? So it's, it's more, it just doesn't feel specific enough in terms of recruitment into the healthcare world. And and I think young women and young men, if they see the opportunities are there and we make the on-ramp easier for them. And I don't mean like paving the way for them in a way that makes it, you know, that has any unfairness to it to anyone else. But I just mean opening the door to them, opening the door to opportunity and letting them see that it's possible. And my feeling is that 
the more that young men and women of color see healthcare providers of color when they go to see a healthcare provider, then that's going to make them think, oh, wow, that person was, you know, just like me and I can follow mm-hmm. in their footsteps. So, Camille, when you think about the future and you think about the ways in which disparities can be addressed and the way that distrust can be dismantled and and mitigated do you where do you find hope like where do you feel that there's room for optimism i find hope in the organizations that we've highlighted and mm-hmm. individuals be it you know an everyday person that went through something and then decided, hey, I need to address this. I need to make changes. I need to go in front of Congress and testify. Mm -hmm. Those are things that make it where it's just like there is hope for change because there are organizations that exist. Mm -hmm. If this was like a perfect world, they wouldn't need to because there would be no need for them to help a specific group of people. But you even have, say, for women's rights and abortion rights, you have Sister Song, you have Touch, uh, it's the Black Breast Cancer Alliance that was started by a woman who experienced breast cancer herself and was able to survive. And she's now gone on to create a whole organization that's trying to educate people and get people to understand the importance of getting into studies and research and how that will help save us and that will help in terms of the research being done with cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where I have hope. It It isn't going to be overnight. It isn't going to be like you blink your eyes and magically everything is better at, all at once. But we are moving forward in a lot of different mm-hmm. ways and a lot of different areas where we need to. And as long as there are people who are still willing to fight in some way against this system that is oppressing people, a lot of the times then that there is a future, there is, you know, somewhat of a happy future for us that lies ahead. Mm -hmm. So it's organizations and people who are, who have their eyes on the prize, the ones who are really doing the fighting, the good fight, right. On a day-to-day basis. How about you, Jasmine? Is, is it similar for you in terms of where you, you draw hope? Yeah. And I would say that's how our podcast is broken up. The first Mm -hmm. part is where we talk about the case and what the patient or the family member had to go through. And then we also want to highlight an organization or individual working to dismantle whatever um, obstacle is in their way, such as like the community that we highlighted in New Orleans. They band together like we spent our hard earned money to buy houses on this land and it was built on toxic land. So we're going to band together so that the city, they have to move us somewhere else, somewhere safe. So just highlighting individuals that are doing what they can to make, you know, the best out of their situation. And also just to make sure that nobody else has to go through those situations. So we just want to elevate them and give them a platform and hopefully you know people can either take away nuggets like oh if I'm ever in this situation I can get information and learn what I can do to say 
Or if you want to go to that organization and just be able to support them, either mm-hmm. the support can be by following them, sharing their posts or even donating money to them. So, mm-hmm. yes, we have a lot to do as far as like health disparities, making it more equitable and also getting more um, minorities and people of color into the healthcare field, but there are people out there that are doing the work and we want to make sure that we highlight them and show what they're doing. And also if you're a healthcare professional, just like you can learn things that you, um, you didn't know what people are facing, especially like the diabetes episode, how you're working, you're earning a living, but you still can't afford the medical supplies and you're rationing your insulin. So when they come into the ER and you're like, why is your, you know, your sugar so high and things like that. So just Mm -hmm. being able to help them, like if there's resources connecting them to social worker case management, just being able to understand, like you might ask them like, Hey, are you giving yourself the proper amount of insulin? Like you're prescribed for say 20 units at night. Are you taking the full amount? Like how long is this insulin lasting you? So you'll be able to answer the answer those questions. And because you listen to the podcast. Yes. And that episode was heartbreaking. The story of the woman who lost her daughter because her daughter was rationing insulin, you know, and mm-hmm. she had two, two young daughters who both were type one diabetics. And that was mm-hmm. it's a heartbreaking story. And one can only hope that the surviving daughter, you know, has a, much different outcome than her sister and that was a very Mm -hmm. tragic story and that was i listened to that one right when it came out and that's an intense story and camille is there you know we mentioned the diabetes episodes the you know there's been quite a few is there any one episode that you've gotten you know more feedback about than any other has one sort of been an outlier in terms of people responding to it Um, I don't know about in terms of a response, but in terms of listens, we do have one episode that's done really well. Mm -hmm. And it's our episode where we talk about the racist psychiatric diagnoses um, concerning schizophrenia. And Jasmine Mm -hmm. and I have talked about it and we're pretty sure it might be tied to there was uh, someone on Twitter, I believe a professor who said that they were going to add it to like their curriculum of people would have to listen in their class. So we've seen a significant amount more people than our, you know, our average episodes listening to that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's another really good story of, again, something that I think a lot of people aren't aware of, of how schizophrenia went from being this sort of like docile, uh, mental illness in white women, sort of mothers in the suburbs to all of a sudden they're diagnosing it in black men and it's, you know, they're aggressive and Mm -hmm. they're animals and Mm -hmm. sort of how it completely changed. The disease itself completely changed. And you can see that even in representations in media of, you know, several years ago to today where a schizophrenic is violent. And -hmm. it was like, well, why all of a sudden was that changing? Or even we point out to the advertisements for the drugs um, for it as well, where that became a completely different um, story as well. So that one, we've gotten a lot more listeners to that. And Mm -hmm. it 
hopefully people are learning from that and taking away that like you really do need to look at the history of things, the real history, not just what you've been told, because a lot of times what you're told or what you see in certain media portrayals is based off of a lie or based Mm -hmm. off of racism. So you have to really delve into what is the real story here? Yeah. And I'm glad that episode's getting some attention. That's episode 18 and 17 and 18, both were around mental health. Those two episodes specifically, those were both really good. So there's so much more to talk about and we'll have to do this again, but I have, I have four quick questions that I ask all my guests and because there's two of you we'll have to go back and forth and so this has to be sort of a lightning round okay so um are y'all game <laughs> yes yeah. okay. okay so Camille we'll start with you and then each of you will get a heads up what that question is because the other one will have been asked at first so you each get to cheat <laughs> twice okay so and we'll have to make these rather quick but Camille how do you define success personally or professionally I define success as that you're happy majority Mm -hmm. of the time. And even if you're going through something difficult, you can still see the beauty in what you do have and what you can potentially have eventually. Mm, That's nice. And um, Jasmine, since you were able to cheat and have a few minutes to (laughs) to think about it, how do you define success? I would define success as... I would say small little wins, you know, you won't be successful. It's not going to be overnight, but Mm -hmm. just over time, just making that progress is what I find success. Getting a a like or like a comment on Mm -hmm. like a post, you know, just being grateful for those things. So I think success is, you, you know, rooted in gratitude. Mm hmm. Yeah. Gratitude and incrementalism. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so, uh, Jasmine, we'll have you go first on this one, and so Camille gets to listen first. <laughs> could you name? Could you name or just describe a person who's inspired you in the course of your life? They can be living or dead, famous, or just someone you know who no, none of us would ever have heard of before. Um, I would say I really like Tiffany the Budgetista. So she works with financial literacy and just understanding like credit and things like that. And she works with black women and just getting Mm. them enthused about like credit. So I would love to do something like that with like health literacy, getting people excited to understand like what appointments they need to go to, what their blood pressure needs to be. So Mm. I really, I like her. (laughs) Tiffany, the budgetista. Awesome. Yes. How about you, Camille? So I would have to say my cousin, Erica Woodland. So he started uh, a therapist network that is geared towards trans and queer people. Hmm. And it's having people have access to members of the therapy community that look like them, that then, you know, if you're seeking mental health care, you can find someone that will acknowledge your existence, it will acknowledge your identity, and will understand your struggle in in society, in your culture, in your community, and will will treat you with respect that I think a lot of times people might feel like they'll automatically get. But when you're dealing with certain people who don't understand your perspective, that can be really difficult, especially in therapy. 
Mm. I love how you both are just so justice oriented. It's so awesome and inspiring. Um, okay, Camille, <laughs> this is the third penultimate, the penultimate question. Is there a book or a movie? It doesn't have to be an absolute favorite, just one that pops to your mind that's had an impact on the way you think or the way you live your life. Oh, that's a hard one. Mm. I can answer it while she thinks. I okay. my, one of my favorite books, um, okay. The Alchemist. Like, yeah, oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. The Alchemist. Yeah, everyone should read it or listen to the audio book. Just the story is just filled with gems. Just like thinking about like how you live your life and just the way you look at things. Mm-hmm. So I would say The Alchemist. That's Paul Coelho. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. a lovely book. Okay, Camille, did you add an extra moment because um, Jasmine bought you some time? <laughs> yes, Jasmine saved me. <laughs> if anything, what's coming to mind is a book that we both actually listened to recently called Rest is Resistance mm. by mm, yeah. uh, Trisha Hersey. And so it's really just pointing out that you can't burn yourself out in terms of you said we're justice minded, but like in terms of black liberation and so many things, you need to take time to rest. And that can be literally napping and going to sleep or just finding other ways to restore and rejuvenate your soul. So when you are trying to do and accomplish whatever it is, you've made sure you've taken care of yourself first before then going out and trying to fight the good fight in a way. Mm. Rest is resistance. So that's that's all about avoiding becoming the wounded healer or the wounded activist. Yeah, that's really nice. Yes. I like that. Okay, last question. So Camille, if you were elected queen of the world tomorrow, what's <laughs> one of the first things you would want to do to improve the lives of your subjects? Oh, I would make sure the taxes were proportionate to your income. So we could have, you know, universal health care for everyone because it would easily be paid for if, you know, people who had bills and billions of dollars actually paid a proper percentage of what they owe to make sure everyone in society is taken care of. All right. So Queen Jasmine would start with taxation. Okay. Yeah. And how about how about Queen? I mean, Queen Camille would start with taxation. How about Queen Jasmine? Since Camille is addressing taxes, so I uh-huh. think pay would need to be increased for our nurses, our teachers, and all those in those caring professional social workers, psychiatrists, we mm-hmm. need more mental health professionals and just creating more opportunities so that there can be more um, nurses and doctors of color. So mm-hmm. definitely we're going to start with the pay raise and then also we're going to create opportunities so that we can get more um, doctors and nurses of color. And social cool. workers and psychiatrists. <laughs> so economic justice basically is where we're yes. all, where we're coming from right now. That's great. Yes. <laughs> all right. So distrustanddisparities.com, that's the website that's in process, right, Camille? Yes. That yeah. is the website that's in process and probably will be fully launched and available to check out when this episode airs. Awesome. 
that's great. And the organizations and individuals who you all feature on each episode, are they going to be highlighted on the website? Yes, yes, that's the plan. I would love to have like a tab where we can put the organizations. That would be great. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then you're also on Facebook at Distrust and Disparities. You're on Instagram at Distrust and Disparities. And you're on Twitter at Distrust Pod. So thank you both so much. This isn't the last time you'll be on the show. And I'm so excited. We've connected. I'm so excited to have you on the Nurse Keith Show and that you've joined the Health Podcast Network and that you all are part of the this huge growing community of people using podcasting for really positive means to uplift people and educate people. So thank you for doing such great work in the world. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having us. Yes. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nurse Keith Show. Remember, the show notes are at nursekeith.com or in any app where you happen to be listening. Remember, you'll see links there for distrustanddisparities.com and Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where you can find Camille and Jasmine. If you need personalized holistic career coaching to elevate your career, look no further than Nurse Keith Coaching. Head over to nursekeith.com and reach out to me and you can get 10% off your first coaching package if you mention the show in your initial email. You become a patron at patreon.com forward slash nurse Keith. And remember, rnegade.pro, r-n-e-g-a-d-e.pro, log in there, select me or any other content creator and get CEUs for listening to nursing podcasts. We're proud members of the Health Podcast Network at healthpodcastnetwork.com. We're produced by Rob Johnston of 520R Podcasting and Mark Cappy Spiesen is our social media ringmaster. Before we say goodbye, I'll leave you with this quote by the musician Robert Fripp. May my living honor my parents. May my living repay the debt of my existence. Be well, dig deep, seek joy, keep in touch. This is Nurse Keith saying adios till next time from beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico. And Jasmine Moore saying goodbye from? New York City. (laughs) New York City. And Camille White calling in from? Baltimore, Maryland. Baltimore, Maryland. Thank you both so much. Thanks to everyone for listening. And we will catch you on the proverbial flip side.